Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to Season 3 of Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit. Leadership belongs to all of us. It's not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. Okay, today, this show, I'm going to start off with complete transparency. There's an old cliche because I used to hear it from my Irish Nana that third time's a charm. This amazing C-suite leader and I have attempted to meet three times. We had administrative hiccups with scheduling, miscommunication. So when we finally met today, it was like with open arms on Zoom, is it really you? Are we really here? I am so thrilled to have Victoria on the podcast today. And I want to tell you a little bit about her And I know a lot of young leaders listening are really going to feel inspiration. They might even get several nuggets of wisdom. One of the things that I love about Victoria Peltier, that is her name, she is a 20-plus year corporate executive and board director. She's currently the managing director at Accenture, and she's been nicknamed the turnaround queen, which I'm thrilled to talk to her about, by her former colleagues and employers. Victoria inspires and empowers her team to change mindsets and drive growth in business, leadership, and culture. She's someone who doesn't subscribe to the status quo, and she loves new challenges. She was one of the youngest chief operating officers at the age of 24. Yes, I'm going to say that again, 24. She was a president by the time she was 35 and a CEO by age 41. Not that age matters, but I'm excited to hear her leadership journey. So Victoria, I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks, Deb. I'm happy to be here. And she has an amazing smile because I get to see her. I, I haven't gone video yet, Victoria. I'm not I'm not in that space. My team's pushing me for season four. You never, never know. I'm just not there yet. I, I kind of like having you all to myself during this talk because I get to look at I get to look <laughs> at you. Uh, The first thing I want to say is your leadership journey is inspiring. I think any young leader listening to you today, reading your bios, probably thinking, wow, how did she do that? So my first question is, share a little bit about your leadership journey. And the part two of that question is, did you anticipate your level of success in leadership and thinking you'd reach the C-suite level at 41? So let me start with Number two that you asked me about. And so the answer is no, I did not expect this. The reality is I actually thought I was going to be a lawyer. I I joke that my mother probably had me watch too much L.A. law growing up. And I was infatuated with some of the the lawyers on that show. But so that's where I thought I was going to go. But I followed my passion. So that's often what I, I will give, you know, coaching and, you know, to others, including my own children. But I started working at age 11 because, you know, lower socioeconomic home. My dad was a janitor. My mom was a secretary. 
So there was no, you know, extras in our household, no vacations, no school trips for me. So if I wanted anything that my friends had, the Sony Walkman back then, again, aging myself, although you've already said, you know, CEO of 41, and I have no problem saying I'm soon to be 47, I had to work. So I started working uh, in uh, a hair salon when I was 11, doing everything but cutting hair, you know, from appointments and cash and cleanup. By 14, I was the assistant manager in a shoe store. And so that was my foray from a leadership perspective. And it was interesting because at 14, I mean, they were decades older than me in some cases, some of the people that um, that I was leading. And then I graduated high school at 16. And while I was in university, I started working for a bank. So entrance into corporate world. And within six months, I got promoted into leadership there. I stayed all throughout university, still thinking I was going to be a lawyer. But the bank offered me a relocation across country and a promotion into senior manager role. So I thought, you know what? I'll move across country to Toronto. I am originally from Canada, big city, you know, New York City, smaller and cleaner version of. And if I love it there, I'll stay and I'll go to law school. Otherwise, I'll go back home. And what I'll tell you is I never moved back out west, nor did I ever go to law school because I realized I loved the corporate world and I loved leadership and some of the challenge that came with that. So six years later, I was working for the bank and I got recruited to become the chief operating officer for an outsourcing company because although massive stretch role for me, but I'd been running large scale operations or contact centers and in banking and the the BPO outsourcing company I work for had financial services clients and it was predominantly all contact center. So that's where the journey then began. And I realized I loved what I was doing. So I never looked back, although I still read as many contracts as I might likely would have if I was a lawyer today. And the journey has just taken me from there. Hey, you know, it's so funny. I, I'm getting ready to publish my first book in September, The Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook. There wasn't one out there, Victoria, so I wrote one myself because I believe in a kindness culture, hence the name of my sweatshirt. I love your leadership journey. And as I sit with you on the heels of you turning 47, which you don't look, by the way, if we went back to that 11-year-old girl, she would say, you know what? This is what I packed up and transferred in skills to every single job that got me to where I am. Because to me, our sectors are important, but I think if we surrender that in our mindset, we're all in the people business. And people kept noticing what you were doing. And I'm sure much like your emotional resilience that you navigated through early because you saw my mom and dad do this. I don't have the extras. I also had a Walkman, by the way. (laughs) I did the same thing as you. I worked at the corner restaurant at 12 and I did dishes and restocked the shelves and whatever was needed because that leadership was in me. And if you don't get it fostered, you go somewhere to have it fostered. So we have we have a lot of parallel alignments. Now, the second question that I have has permanent residency on the show. I've asked over 230 leaders this question. It brings a lot of laughter. Share with us what imperfections Victoria brings to her heart-centered leadership. Oh, many, many. And uh, I think, you know, we're as the saying goes, we're, you know, perfect in our imperfections, although I'm trying to improve. I had a big one, actually, when I was was younger, I think because I stepped into executive leadership so young, the only woman, and so young by like decades, 
uh, the only woman around the boardroom table and part of the LGBT community. I was married to a woman before now married to my husband. Uh, all of those reasons, I really felt like I didn't belong there. I mean, we now talk about imposter syndrome. And so for me, the way I showed up was all business, all the time. I was never going to show any vulnerability because I felt like I needed to act and be a certain way. And funny enough, I even lied about my age. Like what woman lies to make herself older? But if pushed into a corner, I would do that. And so that manifested in, sadly, at this nickname I got, um, I learned not until like probably my, my late 20s as the Iron Maiden. And the turnaround queen nickname comes because I take distressed businesses and make them perform. I usually run operations. That's where a majority of the employee count sits. And I've had to make really tough decisions that have been great for the shareholders. But I don't ever think I showed the emotion that came with that. I, I cried inside. My nickname is actually, my best friend calls me the turtle. Tough exterior. I can shoulder a lot. I'm extremely resilient, but I'm all marshmallow inside. So that was one of the biggest missteps I made in leadership was not showing vulnerability, being all business all the time in, instead of recognizing the really deep connection we can have with people and still lead successfully in business. So being more authentic, being more vulnerable. And that also came with sharing more of my my early story. So I actually overcame extreme adversity, born to a drug-addicted teenage mother who abused me before my parents adopted me. And that informed a lot of who I am and my drive and desire to be better than, not just socioeconomic from the parents who raised me, but the biology. And, and that's had to start coming out. And then the other thing I'd say is I also, in my strive to do well and prove myself and be better than, came this strive to be perfect. So the A-type personality who had to get it right, who drives so hard. At some point, I needed to recognize I had to slow down to allow others to catch up and that we would work together in, and 80% sometimes is better than, um, you know, than what I was striving for. So those are two. I, I love that. And I thank you for sharing your heart because I know it takes courage to talk about you know, early life happenings. Again, we align. Um, I was born to an alcoholic mother. So we have another alignment. Being a yoga teacher, which I did at 50, I learned a lot about energy starts as soon as we start in utero. So you would you you had already started with a different energy than than your little soul wanted. So to think about your foundation similar to mine, psychosocial, social economic, and you were like, I don't think so. I'm going to find another way. So I'm going to, this This segues beautifully into my third leadership question for you. Did that beginning and that quick rise in success and leadership, how were you able to reel in and evolve so that you could kind of shed the overachiever, the here I am, I could do this and okay, maybe I'll kick perfection to the curb too. Because I know a lot of leaders fall into those kind of silos. And I think it would be so great to hear kind of your pitch and how you evolved to kind of shed that. Uh, I, I think it came because of two things. One is that unfortunate nickname and a subsequent conversation with a colleague who I talked to, I was asking her about her weekend and I said, I'd watched some movie in the theater and I was bawling. I didn't have enough napkins. And she kind of looked at me like with, like incredulous. And she's like, Vic, I thought you'd be the type of person who laugh at people who cry at movies. That hit me hard. So it was Iron Maiden coupled with that. And so that was number one. And I, I just knew that's who I was. I wasn't that person. I was just showing up in a certain way. 
So I had to stare at the woman in front of me in the mirror and go like, you have to do better. You have to be the kind of leader that you would want to work for. So that that was one for me. And the other is actually driven by my work around um, diversity and inclusion. And the comfort I, I started to get was sharing my own story that created better relationships with people. I realized the riches, richness that came as we recognized everyone's very different lived experience in whatever form that came in. And it was that variety and openness to listen to it, to make people people feel like they belonged in coming together with all these rich and very different experiences. It created this wonderful world in work and our communities. And so it was those two things together, this confluence that um, made me be a different person and show up very differently and encourage my leadership team and all employees, quite frankly, to be much more of that kind of, and it's somewhat abused term when we talk about authenticity and vulnerability, but I've truly seen the power it has, you know, in certainly from a work perspective, let alone the broader communities we all live and work in. Absolutely. One of my favorite uh, phrases that I use in in coaching with executives and C-suites is, life is always going to show up at work and work is always going to show up at life. Because a lot of times I'm coaching and they're like, can we do some life coaching? I coach the whole person. So in saying that, my last leadership question to you is, what do you think are the main elements or ingredients, if you will, from a C-suite leader to really create and foster a healthy, vital culture? I actually believe, Deb, that culture is the outcome of so, I mean, lots of people put up these fancy vision mission statements on the wall and think that somehow that magically the culture, you know, will arrive at um, at that. It is a combination of, yes, policies, procedures, but it's, it's the leadership actions, language, and behavior that creates this sense of belonging or inclusion that drives the kind of cult- culture we would have put up on the wall and said we were striving for. And so in doing that, that means, so for me, I'm like maniacally focused on building the right kind of leadership team that is always focused on showing up in that way. Again, with the way we talk and we act consistently and having zero tolerance for those that act contra to that. And so that means being really bold. And I'll I'll tell you, in some, I, I've worked majority of my career for like Fortune 500 public companies focus on quarter to quarter results. And they'll they'll take some of that because of the trade-offs that comes with the performance for some of those people. That is not accepted in my world. Uh, so that's been one of the things I've been, you know, like really striving for. And I've left organizations. There's one really large company I left um, who desperately tried to save me. And I literally said to the leader, there's no amount of money or role you could offer me that will solve for our leadership and culture crisis. And that's how I act every day. And I ask for my teams too as well. I just want to drop my mic right now. I got goosebumps. <laughs> this is why I have this podcast. You said two things that just are at my core of everything I do. You can have fancy words, you know, on the hallway of your beautiful office. You can have a creed, a mission statement. I don't care what you have, but you hit the nail on the head. If you don't have the deeds, the behavior, it's like me saying I'm heart-centered and then I'm not heart-centered. 
It's a bit of an oxymoron, but behave what you say. Behave your brand. And that's basically what you said to that company. We're not behaving our brand. And it's funny because when fiduciary incentives sway somebody, they're not leaning into where you leaned in and said, it doesn't matter how much you, you're going to offer me, the red carpet, the money. And I talk about this on this show. It's not stature. When you can lean in to be heart-centered and your morals, your moral compass to navigate you on your values and your belief system, that's heart-centered to the core. That's like the gold level. And a lot of people don't have the courage to do that. So kudos to you. That, that excites me. Thank you. You see why I wanted you on the show? <laughs> That's right. Okay, I'm going to switch to my Fab Four. These are just four fun questions. We don't want you to think. We just want to know what's sitting on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. First question, if I asked your family, your friends, coworkers, how would they describe Victoria in one word and why? Bold. And I'm, and I'm going to say that with a bold and an underline, and it doesn't have a negative connotation. Oh, agree. Agree. It's like the word discipline. When you're an entrepreneur, a CEO, discipline is, I'm going to do this today and I'm going to get it done. Whereas when we're a little kid, discipline is, oh my gosh, I got caught. I'm in trouble. Isn't it funny how we have that generational kind of language hangover? Right? Like, it's very interesting. I think you're both, but in a very good way. Thank you. Okay, second question. Name a book that you've read at any juncture in your life that really was impactful in your life. What's the first book that comes to your mind? And do you remember the title and the author? The Tipping Point, actually, was probably just one that um, caused me to rethink, like the way... Things just get presented and, you know, and, and more so over the last number of years, like you think of what comes in the, in the news cycle, right? And um, research reports, et cetera. But the way that they presented things just caused me to like think so much more and brought that back into all aspects of my life. It's interesting because that's been named on the show before that book. Yeah. It's a great book. I, I see a lot of C-suite leaders enjoying that book. So it's interesting that it's come up again on the show because I'm not giving you time to think, see? So it's like, okay, which one's sitting right there? And you know what? I actually think I was intermingling two of them. It's actually Freakonomics and The Tipping Point. Um, uh, and by the way, Freakonomics has a cool like document. You can see them actually doing sort of thing. Um, it's on Netflix, I think. Okay. Everything's on Netflix. I know. Okay, third question. Let me wrap some context around it. You get to have dinner with any leader of your choice. Now, this leader could be living or they may have passed away. Who is the leader that you are having dinner with and what is the dinner conversation? I, there's two and I'm really torn, um, but I'm going to go with RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I, the other one's Michelle Obama. Uh, or the the Obamas actually both, but um, RBG for me, I just think what an incredible woman to like everything she went through, and I, I love so from being you know a Jewish woman in a time when there wasn't women going into law. I love the fact that she had an incredibly supportive partner as well um, to just 
I mean, I loved how she fought to the very end. Uh, so everything, I actually, I hate dressing up for um, like wearing costumes or for Halloween. It's my husband's absolute favorite holiday. So I found it, I happened to find an RBG costume. So that's who I, who I was. So I'm, I'm just such a, I just, the conversation would, with her, like I would just, so much of it she's spoken about in many of the documentaries, but just um, around what continued to like, when she'd accomplished so, so much and was revered by so many to continue to, um, you know, sit on the Supreme Court, like she, you know, could have retired. There's many things, particularly maybe after her husband passed. So I would just love to know that. Yeah, her tenacity and grit and just, she's just so audacious. And she's also been named on the show and the Obamas come up on a regular. I'm just a big Obama family fan here. So there, there's a lot of energy going out for a big <laughs> girls dinner with the Obamas. Yesterday, Michelle Obama came up. I just finished reading her book, The Light We Carry. I gifted to myself for Christmas. And I'm to the point where when I read her books now, like I hear her voice and she like she's only talking to me, of course. And I just love the way she writes. And she's just, she is so heart-centered in so many ways. And I think you and Ruth would get on. I think Ruth was a bit bold. I think you'd get on uh, pretty good. It'd be a good dinner. I think I'd like to have. Awesome. And it'll be neat to see who the next generation of RBGs are going to be. Agreed. Think about that. And there's your lawyer tie. So you didn't become a lawyer, but you haven't fully let go of it either, right? I love that. I, before I close out the show with my last question, I just want to say third time is a charm. I'm so delighted we met. I, I love your boldness, but... What I love the most about you is your honesty. I love your transparency. I love that you do not put up with bad behavior. And when you lead with heart, you don't really get a lot of bad behavior. And I think the success that you have has come a lot from the the tenacity of that 11-year-old girl. So I just wish you continued success. I think this interview is gonna inspire a lot of young listeners. And uh, we will be sending them to your website so they can keep in touch and, and follow along with your journey. And thanks for wanting to be on the show. Always love when people want to be on the show. So just honored that you wanted to have a chat. Oh, it's been fantastic. Thank you. Okay, finish the show by uh, finishing this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? The way we all should be leading. Joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed the show today and learned some new tools for your leadership from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. And if you like the show, we would welcome a rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And we would love to have any comments or feedback at any time. And if you want some more Heart-Centered goodness, Head over to our daily blog, masteringtheheart.com.